0: We can go ahead and take a seat. We Well, welcome to Table Life Church. Um, our children are now uh, dismissed to go back with our kids ministry for today, our kids' table program, a special time for them. Some excitement there. I love it. I love it. They have some good stuff that's, that's going on today, as always. So um, who, who is thankful for the cooler weather? anyone thankful who liked yesterday right like sunny 70 whatever degrees yeah we're kind of in that time of year here in Pennsylvania I don't know if you're worshiping from some exotic place online um we're envious or some of us aren't envious of you but we're into the fall season and winter months and I have to say Ben did say that there is pumpkin spice or I would like to have a cup of pumpkin spice with coffee with you I'm sad to say that many places around here are out Yes, so I've had to endure other flavors of the peppermint kind, which I don't know if you're a fan, but that's what happens this time of year. So um, great to be with you. Um, we, today we're wrapping up our series Messy Church and 1 Corinthians. Um, we've only traversed the first six chapters of the whole book. There's a lot more that goes on. We don't have time to take care of that. Hopefully, someday we will. We'll get back to that. Um, but today we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And if you received a worship guide on your way in, that's for you to follow along with and kind of count down till lunchtime if you so will. Um, or just take notes too. Some people are note takers, helps you pay attention and, and really um, even go back to a little bit later on. And we've been talking about over the last five weeks about how the Apostle Paul, right? Paul himself was a mess. He was a mess, this religious guy that was out to persecute Christians. He was Jewish and he was assigned that duty until one day he's knocked off his horse and he meets the risen Jesus on on the road and his life is transformed and he becomes one of the greatest uh, proponents and, and church planters in the entire world. And this is the first century AD. And, and so he goes around and he plants these different churches around the ancient world, one of them being in Corinth, the ancient city. And um, four years later, he's moved on, and he learns of messes that are taking place in the Corinthian church, this fledgling church. And he writes the book of 1 Corinthians, or the letter of 1 Corinthians, to address the mess. And he's addressing things like division we talked about, about behaviors they were going back to, be the gravity being pulled there. Um, All these things that were really messing up their their witness, as well as as what was going on internally at the church. So 1 Corinthians 6, if you did flip ahead, you got here a little bit early and we're reading through, you're like, wow, this is going to be a doozy today. We are going to go out with a bang here in this series And if you've read ahead, if not, then get ready, because today we're going to be talking about the messy body, the messy body. So hold on to that thought. We're going to talk about the sex sermon. If you're first time here, I'm apologizing right now. This is we don't talk about this all the time, but but this is it goes beyond sex. It's also just about generally as the body. But it's important for us to talk about and um, just a confession that every time that I talk about this, I feel like an Old Testament prophet honestly, it's like crying in the wilderness, you know, and everybody's like, put her back in the well, right? Put her back in there. So, um, and sometimes like when we talk about this stuff in church, it's kind of like, well, nobody thinks that way anymore. I know what she's going to preach about, right? It's a waste of time. Sometimes I feel like it's a waste of time. You know, that's, you kind of leave here and you're like, that was interesting. You know, what would you expect from the preacher? You kind of hear those types of things. But I think overall, in church i'm talking about not just table life church but like the big c church like the big c church i think overall has really taken uh, the wrong approach to the message of the body and sexuality i think we've taken the wrong approach because this is basically what we teach maybe you grew up hearing this we teach sex is dirty sex is gross sex is disgusting so save it for your spouse right that's generally what we teach it's it maybe you grew up in that and, and everybody kind of whispered and that kind of thing but the thing is God created the body and our sexuality is a good thing a good thing a holy thing a healthy thing and I don't think we teach about that enough in the church that God created this God created us it's all meant to be good and so I thought I'd start off today with a little bit of an illustration. Um, and being that the colder temperatures are upon us and uh, a couple sermons ago, I learned that many of you all enjoy camping, right? Is that true? We have Fire Pit Fridays here at Table Life Church. We're going about to have a Fire Pit Sunday. Is everyone excited for Fire Pit Sunday? So I'm gonna put this up here so everybody can see. There we go, Fire Pit Sunday. And the good news is our uh folks on the board that are trustees they're not here today so i have great permission to do this and um we're we're (laughs) oh you are here i didn't see you this morning oh my well i didn't receive a blessing but that's okay i have to figure out how to we're gonna be okay here court don't worry don't you worry just talk to mike a little bit i had like the safety right the safety thing Fire, right, fire. So um, we're gonna build a little bit of a fire here on the church, right, On the in the church, on the platform. Is everybody with me, right? Really, this is really gonna be awesome. Um, so when we do this, Court, Court Burr, who's on our board and one of the trustees, what's the problem? Fire extinguisher. There's no fire extinguisher. There's no fire extinguisher. But what do you think would happen, will happen, would happen, will happen? when I light these pieces of wood on fire, what will eventually happen? The chair? Well, yeah, this is wood too, by the way. Um, it'll kind of like ignite the chair. If we did, have well, we have a bucket of water here, by the way. Um, but eventually, what's going to happen? It's, it's going to spread. It's going to probably ignite the entire platform on fire, including our expensive instruments that our musicians are like shaking right now. Uh, The the problem is not building a fire on stage, but the problem is building it in a place where there's nothing to contain it. There's nothing to, to keep it in bounds. And I think we would all agree, right, a fire is wonderful thing when we have a fire pit Friday, when it's in a fire pit. Um, uh, it's just not good when it's raging through the church (laughs) or raging through a forest, right? The problem's not fire. The problem's the location of the fire. It's the location. And it's interesting because the very same substance that keeps you warm and cozy as you get ready for Christmas in the fireplace, right, is the same substance that literally destroyed Northern California. It's the very same thing. And I think that kind of points us to this idea that a good thing, a very good thing that's used in the wrong way or is in the wrong place, it can become a very, very messy thing. A very messy thing. And, and that goes for, for a lot of things in our lives for our words, for our intentions, for our possessions, even for our talents, but also for our bodies. For our bodies. And several years ago, I had the opportunity to attend a youth ministry event that was um, down in Virginia, and there were all these different youth groups that went, and the speaker was, took a kind of interesting spin on this. He, he came in uh, the first night with this kind of like um, doctor's garb and coat, and he called himself Dr. Nike. And you know why that? He called himself Dr. Nike? The just-do-it-doctor! And he literally, I have to say, preached like the first night about all the reasons why you should just do whatever you want with your body, whatever it's your body, all the different arguments, all the different things. And I remember like watching the adults sitting there, like all the youth pastors, and they're all like like this. They're like, oh my gosh, like what is he doing? What is he teaching? And we had a little debrief afterwards, and that was literally like the first night, and like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? He's like, I have news for you guys. He's like, this isn't new, this isn't new to our audience. He said, you know, I'm going to come back and talk about this, but the reason why we're having this camp is to talk about these things and be open about it. And, and, and that's, that's a really, really important thing. And, and so here I am years later um, after youth ministry, and now I'm like, not just a youth pastor, I'm an adult pastor. And I have to say, like, in my experience, I've heard lots and lots of stories of many imma- unimaginable and imaginable situations And I have to say that even as I've counseled people and worked with people, the conclusion I've come to is the conclusion that Paul comes to in 1 Corinthians. And that is that our bodies are a good thing, but when they're used in the wrong way, they can become a very, very, very messy and destructive thing. And I think there's something in each of our hearts that rings true about this, as impractical as it is. You know if for a moment if you put your faith aside if you put even scripture aside you can look around at our culture and our world and ask are we happier are we better off by everybody doing everything with anyone whenever they want are we better off i think most of us would say no right I don't think you need me to tell you that, that when, when we're experimenting with ourselves, when we're, we're, we're basically doing things that, that are harming ourselves, it makes our lives, our souls, our brains, and our relationships even more complicated. Even more complicated. And, and dare I say, especially in the next chapter of life. In the next chapter of life. It doesn't usually happen right away but it's the next chapter that has the effects of that. And I have to say, I talk to people who, looking back, wish they had taken it slower, they had not tried. They wish that they had missed out on some things. But I have to say, I've also never heard, nobody's ever said to me, gosh, I just wish I had slept with more people. I haven't heard that. And so I'm convinced today that what Paul has to say in 1 Corinthians is good advice, period and once again this is another sermon that if you're not a christian and you're listening to this totally you get the the go the the get out of jail free card you can listen in and say okay this is what they're talking about and all that stuff that's a good thing but but i think just this perspective on the body is this holy wonderful thing that god created paul doesn't say put the fire out he says put it in the right place the right place that protects it and makes it that beautiful, wonderful, warm, comfortable thing. And so Paul planted this church in Corinth in a culture where they believed that sex and use of our bodies was just an activity. And it's just, they believed that it was just something to do, that it was just a hobby. And so we talked about this the week before, that, that they actually had these temples built to their, their Roman gods. And part of that worship was having prostitutes. There were th- about a 1,000 prostitutes that would be at the temple of Aphrodite, and many of them that were sold into that by their families. Think about it, these, these women and even young boys that were sold into this, and that was a part of their worship experience. So that's the context that these Corinthian Christians are really wrestling through, like how much of that and that influence and that culture and what we're used to. And then Paul is saying something different But I think Paul is going to show us in this chapter, um, we're going to focus on uh, verses 12 um, through the end of the chapter. Um, He's going to show us basically five principles or five guidelines that that really surround us in, in the use of our bodies. And the first is that just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Just because you're able to or even are permissible it's to doesn't mean that you should. And so he starts off by saying this. He says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. He's quoting them. I have the right to do anything, but I'll not be mastered by anything. And see, he's quoting them. That's why it's put in quotation marks. He's not, he's not saying I have the right to do everything. He's quoting what they would say. It's kind of a slogan. So um, just a couple minutes here. You know, we don't, maybe don't have the, that exact slogan, but we have slogans in our culture. Um, identify the slogan. So what if I said the words, maybe she's born with it, who says that? Maybelline, right? You know these. Bet you can't eat just one lace potato chips have it your way burger king the quilted quicker picker upper bouncy there we go and i'm loving it mcdonald's mcdonald's right those are kind of like our slogans and culture well they had slogans too and one of them was i have the right to do anything i have the right to do anything and so he sees that paul sees this and he also identifies that the Corinthian church is misinterpreting something that he had said. Not that quote per se, but one of the core ideas that he communicates in many of his other letters. And that is that when we're in Christ, when we place our faith in Jesus, we're set free. We're set free. We're, we're free. And... and Paul sees them, though, as abusing that or flipping that on its head. And that happens if you're a teacher or if you've ever preached a message, you know, if you're a public school teacher, you know that. You have students come up to you and say, but you said, right? And they apply that in ways that you never would have imagined. Um, Well, that's what they're doing here with something that Paul had said about their freedom in Christ. This particular idea that Christ has set us free, that lies at the center of the gospel. But Paul, Paul goes on, though, to clarify its limits, its limits. Because when we talk about freedom, right, freedom, I mean, so how many veterans do we have here, folks that have served? Yeah, veterans, you know that freedom is not free. Freedom comes at a cost. Freedom comes at a cost to all of us, and especially to, to those that put their lives on the line. And we can see that as a parallel to Christ and his sacrifice. See, Christ doesn't set us free so we can do whatever we want to do. Christ sets us free so we can do whatever God wants us to do. There's a difference. And so everything may be legal in some sense, but not everything is beneficial. Everything may be allowed, but not everything is going to benefit. I mean, I have a friend that refuses to get a toolbox, and you know what he uses when he needs a screwdriver? A butter knife uses his butter knife and like that's talk about safety first right and he's like trying to screw but like you use a butter knife and uh, when you should be using a screwdriver it's not going to be in good shape when the dinner comes right that you say I have the right to light a fire on stage don't I court I have a ri- I. okay he stands firm in there he said no but but it's not gonna be beneficial to anybody it's not gonna benefit anyone But the second piece here, the second good question to ask is, will it master me? You know, before taking an action, will it master me? The word master, so the Corinthians, interesting enough, they would have been very, very sensitive to this term that Paul was using. And that was the reason why, was because the Romans, the Romans who were occupying them, uh, were the enslavers. They were the masters. And so if you talk about slavery, if you talk about having masters, they would have like cringed, right? So it even has a bigger impact than some of our understanding. But this idea of mastery very easily, things can master us, especially without us having the intention of it. And when it comes to our bodies, some of us just want to be warm. So we start a fire. We go after the warmth and so we start a fire. But you and I know this, that what we choose freely can easily wind up in the long game dominating our lives. Nobody ever goes into an addiction saying, okay, well, I'm going to go full-blown and have this out of control in my life and ruin all my relationships and my marriage and everything about me and my job. Like, nobody goes into it for that, right? It starts off small. We talked about the yeast last week, just a little bit of yeast can contaminate the whole batch. What we choose freely can wind up dominating our lives. There's an eagle song that talks about this, called Desperado, going, these things that are pleasing you hurt you somehow, right? It's true. See, Paul shifts the responsibility back to the Christian to ask these questions. Is it beneficial? Will it master me somehow? Because desires and appetites and friends and joy and seeking pleasure, those are created as good things, but very easily in the wrong place, they can turn messy. And author N.T. Wright and theologian N.T. Wright, he says this in his book, After You Believe, which I highly recommend. Um, He says, the church is often called a killjoy for protesting against sexual license. But the real killing of joy comes with the grabbing of pleasure. As with credit card usage, the price tag is hidden at the start. But the physical and emotional debt incurred will take a long time to pay off. But the second thing, so moving on, second thing that Paul talks about here is that when it comes to our bodies, just because you have it doesn't mean you need to use it. So just because you can doesn't mean you should. And just because you have it doesn't mean you need to use it. So he goes on here. He says, you say, and once again, he's quoting them, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he'll raise us also. So, the Corinthian church, the Christians, they used this motto comparing the stomach and food to the rest of our body and the pleasures of, of, sex, of sex, and so they were using that, to, that comparison to justify whatever, to do whatever they wanted, right? My body wants food. I have the desire to eat. I'm really, really hungry, so I eat. You know, my body my body yearns in a different way for sex, so I do it. Like, use it or lose it. It makes sense, Right? But Paul won't let them misapply that. Because he's saying here, you're missing the point. See, first, just because you have it doesn't mean that you use it. You know, we can misapply that and, and we selectively apply that in different ways. But secondly, our relationship with the Lord isn't just spiritual. It's also physical. Did you know that? Our relationship with Jesus isn't just a spiritual thing that we do in our heads or in our hearts. It's also physical. I mean, what would you say to someone, someone say who who served on our board here at Table Life Church, who said, "I, I give to Christ in my heart, and they gave absolutely no money as your board member, or to say, I serve Jesus in my heart, and they never were active in doing anything in the body that, we, that we're here. Now, what would you say to that? Like You'd say, well, do you deserve to be a board member, right? Like, if you're not acting in that way and I'm not seeing the actions, doing it in your, in your heart doesn't really, really count, right? See, Jesus wants to work through us physically, and that includes our bodies. After all, God raised Christ, we believe physically, Physically, not just spiritually, physically. He raises his entire body, and he's promised that he will raise us too. See, what you do with your body matters. Even beyond sex, right? About treating yourself, right? You know, about valuing this as a gift. And what we, what we don't know exactly is how exactly it will all work when Jesus comes again, when he comes to make everything right. You know, what do, will our bodies look like? You know, that, by the way, this is not like an exit. When we go to heaven, it's not like, oh, poof, my spirit goes from my body and leaves my body behind. That Jesus promises us that there's going to be a recreation of all of the world and that he will come one day to make all things new and that we're promised resurrected bodies. We don't know what the continuity there is between the present body and the future one, but there is an illusion That they will be tied together there will be consequences even jesus when he appears as the risen christ to the disciples what are in his hands scars scars in his resurrected body but the next piece here is to recognize that your body isn't just yours it's a part of christ it's a part of christ and paul says do you not know that your bodies are members of christ himself Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one in her body? For it's said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And of course, at this point, I imagine, as as the Corinthian church is listening to this, Paul's audience is going, whoa, that's a bit strong there, Paul. (laughs) We're not uniting. I don't, we don't even remember the person's name. Like, there's no uniting thing going on. And Paul's basically going, he's like, yeah, but you don't understand what's happening here. You think this is only physical. You thought it's an activity, an event, and a pastime. But Paul's saying, no, it's a pathway. And in verses 15 to 17, he's developing one particular direction. Uh, he's alluding to this idea that, that people would visit these prostitutes at the temple. And he wants them to think it through for themselves. See, so many times we just want a yes and no list. And so for so long the church has really resorted to that. And what happens is this thing called legalism. Is I should do this, I shouldn't do that. Ooh, bad, bad, bad. Like don't do that. Yes, do that. And then we lose the whole idea behind it. And paul isn't about to do that he's not going to resort to just this a list of yeses and nos the point is as a christian you belong to jesus and you're a part of his body that's why we call ourselves what the body of christ you're a part of his body and and what we do with our bodies sexually is with all of us there's no separating the spiritual from the physical we're bonded together and you know what that also means that means that what we do with our bodies affects our intimacy with God and our ability to hear from him, our capacity to be used by him. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I've had many conversations with people that have to say, I feel so far off from God. I don't hear from him. I, I don't even know if he's there anymore. And here in the next line, they're talking about all the things that they've been doing with their girlfriend. And you're like, I, I don't know what to say to you. Like, they're connected. Like, it affects you. What we do with our bodies affects our connection with God as well as our connection with others. And that's, and that's a beautiful thing. That's why we were created that way. It affects our intimacy with God and also with other people, too. I, I've known people, too, that sadly become numb become numb to using their bodies in different ways and experience, and it means nothing anymore in any way. And what a sad, sad thing that is. See, our bodies are created to be intertwined as as both sexual beings as well as spiritual beings. And you know what that is? It's a reflection of God's own self-giving sacrificial love. God's own self-giving sacrificial love as a unity of, of body, soul, and spirit. That's why it's so beautiful. And that's why we're a part of Christ. It's more than just what you do with this. And then Paul goes on and says, he gives us a warning. He gives the Corinthian church a warning. He says, flee. Meaning, says, run as hard as you can away. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. See, he's saying protect your body, but he's not saying shame on you, shame on you, that was awful, go away, go away from the church, you're no longer part, he's saying protect your body because you're worth it, you're worth it. See, Paul is defining this idea of sexual immorality, yes, being outside the fireplace, outside of marriage, but also in using our bodies in, in ways and even our eyes and looking at things, you know, in ways that are not glorifying to God, that are degrading ourselves. See, when, when sex is in marriage, it's a good and protected thing. Uh, see, outside the fire, it becomes, can become a very destructive thing. And, and I don't know about you if you've had this experience, but also outside the fireplace, it becomes about performance rather than self-giving love see it's there's a design and there's a purpose because you and i are worth it we're worth it and did you know this the word infatuation what the latin root of that the word infatuation you know what it means false fire false fire means it looks like fire but it can't really warm you see it's not that god goes ballistic over what we do with our bodies versus other sin that's not the point He's saying that some some things have more devastating consequences, and and some may even lead to death. But we know that it takes a toll on a human being in a category like no other thing that we do. And, And anybody that you talk to that's a psychologist or a counselor would say that's right, because Maybe this is your story. A person who's molested or abused at age seven, when they're 47, somehow they're still carrying it. There's no other thing, a skin knee, you know, you don't even remember what age you were when that happened. But when that happened at age seven, that's with you your entire life. There's that, there's that, that, there's that part of our brain, too, that's built for pleasure-seeking. Dopamine is the chemical that runs through our brains. And, and so what we see... What we do with ourselves, what we see can be addicting and also traumatizing, too. Did you know that there's such a thing as relationship addiction? Relationship addiction. That, that some, some people just have to find themselves and have to be a part of being with another all the time. And there's that dopamine that's going off. That's, that's not really being led by God, but it's that dopamine that's going off that's tearing you apart and drawing you into that. And even when it comes to what we do with the rest of our bodies, right? Like I said, our eyes. Did you know that, and this is a recent statistic, in the big C church, 40 to 60% of people view pornography twice a month. That's in the church. And people that identify as Christians, let's just say that. 40 to 60% view pornography once or twice a month. 70% the statistic is outside. And it said that under 10 years old, 10 years old is the first time that our children are viewing pornography. 10 years old. And it conditions people. It conditions us. You now it's really quiet in here, right? It conditions us. And, and I'm not just speaking about the guys, though, it tends to be a lot of guys that, that get into this rap of things, but it's also women. I mean, there's movies that one recently, not recently, several years back that was put out. There's books. You know, that, it's like very much the same thing. And we too can get caught up in these things. And and there's marriages I've seen that have been literally, it makes me tear up inside because they're torn apart. People that have like gone there and the spouse is like, well, I married you and I didn't think I'd have to compete with other women once we got married. And it breaks people apart. You don't know its power until you can't stop, until it rules and wrecks your life, and that's why Paul's saying here: flee! Don't mess with it. Like you looked once, just don't like stop it. If you have to turn off your phone, you have to get rid of things. Then don't mess with it. I mean, you know that if you've ever taken kids scouting or camping, right? And you light a fire like this, what's the first thing that they want to do, right? They want to get the stick, they want to put it in the fire, and they want to start running around with it, right? Waving it, and you're like, oh, holy cow! We just saw like the, you know, was it Smoky Bear out there? It was like fire warning yellow, right? We don't want to be the cause of the next fire in Pincho, right? That kind of thing. And, and you're like, put it back, put it back, right? It's like, don't mess with it. Don't even mess with one little spark. Like, don't mess with it. And and even like Smokey says, only you can prevent forest fires, and it's true when it comes to use of our bodies. But then Paul concludes this section he says i think these are the probably the most affirming words that he said in this whole part these all these chapters he says do you not know that your bodies are temples of the holy spirit wow right wow who is in you you've received from god you're not your own you were bought at a price therefore honor god with your bodies honor god with your body because it's a gift it's a gift See, so often in the church, the solution is like, okay, yeah, we don't talk, either don't talk about it or shame on you, you're banished. Like we take what I call is like the ice bucket, right? It's the bucket of shame. And we just want to pour it on people. And that's kind of typical in the church. And you know when we do that, do the no list and the yes list, you know what happens? It just flares back up. It's not meant to be that yes and that no game. It's it's viewing our it's the view of our bodies. As a good thing and as a gift, and Paul's words here have both individual and communal implications. In, in the Greek, he, the pronouns he's using here are plural, and so he's also. But he also uses several as individual, meaning you, you know, not y'all or yins, but you, you individually, and he's helping them understand this personally that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, but also your body. Communally, it's the body of people, the body of Christ, that the Holy Spirit is inhabiting here within us. And so while many of us may have a lifelong battle with, with being drawn into these behaviors, it, it's not our identity. It's finding ourself in Christ first because you cannot stop being someone who was bought with a high price. You can't stop. That, that Christ who went to the cross He paid that high price, and this isn't a a means of condemning you with the ice bucket, but indeed seeing ourselves as a child of God who is worthy, who is valuable, and is a gift. To honor God with our body, to wake up each morning and pray, God, that you would use me, use all of me, my hands, my feet, my head down to my feet. Lord, protect me and help me, that, that what I do with my body actually matters but also what we do or don't do as a body of believers matters. Because to sum it all up here, a good thing that's used in a wrong way can easily become a mess. The solution is not the ice bucket. See, God does not shame us for our messes. I hope that you don't get that out of this series. God is not shaming us for our mistakes. God is not shaming us and saying, you're, you're out of here. I don't want anything to do with you. He simply wants us to live and put things in the right place because we're worth it. You're worth it. Y'all are worth it. See, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to a messy church because the mess is never the end of the story. No matter what the mess consists of, no matter if it's division or strife, no matter if it's resorting back to old behaviors or trying to team up on one another and get your way, or if the mess concerns the use of your body, no matter what the mess is, it's never the end of the story with Jesus in the picture. And there may be scars, but he brings healing, that we can be healed because we know a God who runs To redeem our messes out of love and out of grace and wants us to to know that but the question is will we allow him or will we continue to go our own way well if we turn to him a release in us takes place that allows us to see everything ourselves our church the world our bodies and one another in a new way it may be in an instant it may be in the falling of a tear or the bending of a knee, but that we'll be released to discover the answer is right here within us. If we'll stop striving in our own power long enough to connect with a different power not our body, but the body of Christ, the power that God has promised, that God can make beauty even out of the mess.